All right. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to lockdown, day of lockdown. I don't know. Lockdown learning. We are in day seven of lockdown learning. And the topic this evening is psychology from the parasha, which like last week, because unfortunately we're not going to be able to read it in person. But hopefully the ideas that we're going to bring out of this week's parasha have some practical ramifications, not only to Jewish life, but life uh, even beyond that. And that's uh, the idea. So let me share the screen this week is Parashat Matot Masay. It's a double parasha. So for those who would narrowly be sure, it is going to be a, it would be a long laning, incredibly long laning. And uh, so we're not going to, we're going to miss that. And the first part of Parsha Matot deals with um, initially the laws of uh, what are called Nidarim and Shvuot, oaths and vows. Followed, it talks about the war with Midian, that was uh, following from last week um, after Pinchas. Um, then it talks about the tribes of Ruvain and Gad wanting to settle on the eastern bank of the river. And then Masay um, deals with all the travels during the 40 years, all the different pit stops you made along the way. So the focus uh, this evening, and there were about three different areas of psychology that I, I found quite fascinating. One had to do with uh, <clears throat> the idea of being clean in how we perceive we are perceived in the world, even if our intent is, is, is pure, but people perceive it as unpure or something's wrong with it. Um, there are a few others, but the one I, I settled on was the ones that comes at the beginning of the parasha. So let me just uh, get a little bit further down so I can read the Hebrew. And this is how the parasha opens up. Um, so just a little bit of um, historical understanding of the halachas yet. So every Yom Kippur, we start off the service with Kol Nidre. And Kol Nidre refers to every oath or vow that we have taken. We ask it to be nullified. And the way that this, what is a vow in general? So you might often have heard people saying, Bli Neder. And what that means is if I make a promise that I'm going to do something, that is a, called an oath. A vow is I prohibit something to me. I, pro, you know, I prohibit things that I, this chocolate is forbidden to me. That would be a vow. I will not eat chocolate is an oath. I will do something is also an oath. So whereas a neder refers to the object, the prohibition or permissibility of the object, the vow, so the, the vow, the oath is what is about me as an individual. Now, we often make promises and often we can't keep those promises. So what do we do in an event that we can't keep those promises? So if it comes to a point that we've broken it, so even though it's by, by Torah law, there's no obligation to make a vow. In fact, the Torah is going to say that uh, we shouldn't make vows. It's something that we shouldn't do. But if you did make a promise and you broke it, so I say chocolate is forbidden to me and then I eat a piece of chocolate. So halakhically, it's the same as eating a piece of pork. You know, it's, <clears throat> I didn't have to do it, but since I made that, uh, that, that vow, so I'm obligated to, uh, you know, bring an atonement offering as a result. But let's just say I've, I've said I'm going to quit smoking. And I'm just finding after a while it's just too difficult to quit smoking. So then you have an option to go to a bait in. Now, bait in in this context doesn't necessarily mean a bait in, but just three, three individuals can operate as a bait in. And you go in front of them and you say, listen, uh, my rabbis, I've made the following vow and it's too difficult for me to keep and, uh, and I've reconsidered, whatever the case may be, and the bait in can nullify the vow. So it's, uh, that's, that's generally what we do. And if you go to any shul on Erev Rosh Hashanah, that is what people do straight after the service. They do Hatzarat Nadarim, they uh, do their vows. And for those who didn't do that, then they get them on Yom Kippur. What the Torah is going to be speaking about now it's going to bring this thing, but it's going to talk about a unique case. And that is, and I apologize in advance if people get 
upset by this, but the Torah gives a certain level of authority to a father or to a husband over the, the behavior of their wife or daughter. And the idea that's coming here is that if my wife or daughter makes a vow, um, and it's a question whether it's any vow or just a vow that negatively impacts me, and I don't like the vow, so I can do what's called be mafir nede. I can say, I don't like that vow, and the vow is, not, the vow is nullified, and you don't have to go to a baiting. That's called hafarat nede. So it's for, for women who are living under their, you know, they are prepubescent, and so the father has the ability to do that, or a man's wife. That is the, the context of what we are about to read now. So you can follow in English. Moshe spoke to the heads of the tribes of Bnei Yisrael saying, This is a commandment of Hashem. When a person takes a vow or an oath to prohibit something to him, he should not allow his words to become, be used in vain. Meaning you've got to keep it. You've got to do everything that he said. <coughs> Ve'isha, and a woman, if she makes a vow, or she makes a, a, an, an oath, an isa is a different kind of vow, while living at home as a minor, and her father hears her vow, or the prohibition that she prohibited to herself, and her father is quiet, Everything that she, every vow that she took is ba- is binding. So okay, so you've got your ten year old daughter. Your ten year old daughter says, "I'm you know ah I hate macaroni cheese. I'm taking a vow. I'm never going to eat macaroni cheese." And the father hears it and he says nothing. Talach is fine. The vow is sent and she can't eat macaroni cheese. Then it says, "Ve'im heni avir otab yom shamo." But if the father hears on the day that she makes the vow. Any vow oath that she makes, and basically heini means he nullifies it, restrains her. Is the word that uses here? He restrains her doom. He says loyakum. The vow is not binding. and Hashem will forgive her. Since her father restrained her. Now this term by Hashem yislachla that Hashem will forgive her comes out multiple times throughout the out of this parasha about the man and his wife and so on and so forth. But the idea over here is that the father or the husband hears their wife or daughter make a vow. He says, not being, I'm absolutely not. So the vow isn't, it, it, no, it's, well, she says, I'm never going to eat macaroni and cheese. Father says, rubbish, you are going to eat macaroni and cheese. And then... She eats macaroni and cheese, no problem, no problem. If he says nothing, so eating macaroni and cheese is the same as eating non-kosher. All right? So hopefully we're all on the same page. What the, what the commentaries have, Rashi brings it over here. I'm going to bring the Gomorrah. But the Gomorrah brings here and says, what is this? For Hashem Yislachla. And Hashem will forgive her. Forgive her for what? What did she do? She made a vow. Hashem, uh, her father or husband nullified the vow. So there's no vow. So what's, what's Hashem forgiving her? So perhaps you could say that she shouldn't have made a vow, but okay. So any person, uh, any person who makes a vow and gets the vow nullified, we don't say Hashem forgives him. And forg- forgiveness implies a transgression. And if the Torah allows you to make a vow, it can't be that the vow in of itself is a transgression. So what exactly is the yeah, Hashem forgiving her for here? So the Gemara comes and tells us the following. 
תנו רבנן, הרב עשה תורסס, בשהפר לבעלה, והיא לא ידעה, הכתוב מדבר. So it's going over here, not, Rashi quotes it on the verse that we said about the father nullifying his daughter, but the, the Gemara brings it on the husband nullifying his wife's vow. It says, what is the case? The husband nullifies his wife's vow. But she doesn't know about it. Meaning, she's out at the shops and she sees the price of bananas are gone through the roof. So she says, I am taking a vow to never buy bananas, an oath to never buy bananas because they're such a rip-off. Work gets back to her husband and he hears that, you, you know, you just heard your wife saying uh, that she's never going to buy bananas. And he says, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. I nullify her vow. But she doesn't know that he nullified her vow. And then what happens is she says, oh, there's bananas on special. I'm going to buy bananas. So hold on a second here. In her mind, she's made a vow that prohibits her from purchasing bananas. Now, her, what's the reality? The, her vow doesn't exist because her husband nullified it. But she doesn't know her husband nullified it. So what's the status of this individual? This is a person who, in their mind and in their intent, they are transgressing a mitzvah. They are, are, are going against Torah law or, uh, in the laws of vows and oaths. But the reality is they're not. They're doing something completely permissible. So what's the Torah? So it says to Gemara, that's Vashem Yislachla. That Hashem will forgive her, meaning she has to do some level of atonement. She has to bring, whether it be a sacrifice or do teshuvah, but she has done something wrong. Meaning, she hasn't done anything wrong. But since her intent was to do something wrong, even though in reality she hasn't, that is considered an avaira. So, the Gemara continues. When Rabbi Akiva got to this particular verse, he would start crying. He says, what, just as a person, think about it, a person who wants to eat chaza, and they go and they buy, they go to what they rest, they go to a restaurant, and they say, I want, oh, that bacon burger looks fantastic. Give me one of these burgers. And he gets the burger and he devours it. And then he sees a guy, a frum guy walk into the restaurant. He says, what are you doing here? He says, this is the best faking burgers in town. We, uh, we love this place. It, 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 uh, we are told that it tastes treif, but it's all 100% kosher. So he says, if that person who intended to eat bacon and ate kosher, tzirich kapara v'slicha, needs atonement and forgiveness... Imagine a person who intends to do an Avera and actually does accomplish that Avera. So he goes into McDonald's, eat McDonald's, and he does eat McDonald's. How crazy is that? How much more so is Edison? Meaning, Rabbi Akiva was, was profoundly um, affected by the fact that apparently intention of itself is sufficient to be considered a transgression. It's not enough that a person actually does the transgression, it's enough that there's intent for transgression. So that's something quite profound. And that's according to Rabbi Akiva, according to the Gemara, that is exactly what our verse is talking about. Is that it's not enough that you do good, you have to actually think good as well. Which is quite profound, because we like to think that intentions are one thing, but at the end of the day, actions are the things that matter. If you offer to help somebody and you don't go, it doesn't matter that you have good intentions to help them. You know, at the end of the day, did you help them or you not help them? So that's what's ultimately going to count. Now, albeit that that seems to be the way that the, the Torah sees is pretty clear in its description of that. There's another Gemara which comes to seem to say the complete opposite. 
So this is a Gemara in Masechet Kiddushin. The laws that deals with marriage. And it says as follows. Machshavat tova mitzerf elamaisa. Hashem um, combines good intent as if um, to, to deed. Meaning as follows. Shneemar, and it quotes a verse, Az nidabru yashem yirei Hashem. Then they will speak. Those who fear uh, those who fear Hashem will speak. Isha re'ehu, a man to his fellow. V'yakshev Hashem v'yishma v'yichtob b'seh v'zichron l'fanav l'irei Hashem v'lachosh v'yishmo. That basically all these people are going to be inscribed in the book of life for just thinking l'chosh v'yishmo. It says that they just thought of doing, thought of Hashem. They didn't do anything, they just thought of Hashem. So it seems like thinking of Hashem, I, having good intentions is very positive and that's good enough. So the Gemara says, Ma l'chosh v'yishmo. What does it mean that they think about him? When a person wants to do a mitzvah, and he is neenas, was the translators, um, uh, in circumstances beyond his control, says happen, then he can't do it. The Torah considers it, Hashem considers it as if you did a mitzvah. So that's an unbelievable idea. That here I want to do a mitzvah. And Venenas and beyond, uh, due to force as well, beyond my control, I was incapable of fulfilling the mitzvah. Says Hashem, I give you credit for doing the mitzvah. It's as if you did the mitzvah. That's fantastic. So this, the, as long as you have intention to do the mitzvah, even if you don't do the mitzvah, it's great. So whereas before, um, in the early Gemara it says, we, what we, we, we are interested in your deed, but really, even if your act, even if your actions are fine, i.e. you ate kosher, but your intent was eat not kosher, that's no good. Over here it's talking about the fact that good intentions are apparently sufficient in, in a case, in a case, where you weren't able to fulfill the mitzvah. But then the second part comes, and this is far more controversial. But evil intent, does, Hashem does not consider it as if you did the deed. Meaning, Shirema, <laughs> so let's see. Um, I'll bring this evil upon this, even the, uh, I will bring upon these people evil. Sorry. So this is the verse over here. If I regard iniquity of the heart, the Lord would not hear. So if I had sin and I was thinking of bad things in my heart, Hashem doesn't hear it. Hashem ignores it. So it says, so the Gemara says, but hold on a second, we have another verse that comes and says that uh, the fruits of one's thoughts, yeah, I will bring evil upon these people, evil, even though the, even the fruits of their thoughts, meaning even if they think bad things, I'm going to punish them. So Gemara says, no, no, thought that leads to action, that will be punished. But thought in of itself, that's, there's no crime there whatsoever. All right. So according to this Gemara, if you have negative intent and... Um, and that's all you, uh, you have is intent. So that's not a problem. Negative intent that leads to negative deeds. So that Hashem considers. Positive thoughts. Hashem is much kinder in the positive. So if I have positive intent to do a mitzvah. And I didn't do the mitzvah due to the fact it's beyond my control. So Hashem considers as if it's. I, I wanted to dive in Shachrit this morning. And I'm driving to Shul. And I get a flat tire. And I can't get to Shul on time. Hashem says, don't worry. I will give you credit as if you dive in a minute. You won't. You have to do it by yourself. But you, I'll give you credit if you have in a minute because you wanted to do it. It was beyond your control. I was thinking of, uh, you know, going out to, uh, 
go eat shreif, and I never ended up going. So Hashem says, don't worry, thinking about it, wanting to do it, not a problem. So we have one Gemara comes and says that even intent is considered um, a problem. And we have another Gemara comes and says, no, 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 intent in of itself is not uh, sufficient. So wh- what is it? So seemingly the way of understanding these differences is that when you do, when you actively, when you actually do a deed, that is uh, to try to do an Avera. And due to circumstances beyond your control, it doesn't happen. So then it is considered that you did the Avera. The same as the mitzvah. Meaning, if, if I want to, I'm, I'm um, um, like, so I'm, I want to eat, I want to eat treif. And I take the food and I eat the treif. And then it turns out that that's kosher. So that's the same as I'm driving to shul. I want to do the mitzvah. I'm going to do the mitzvah and be, to forces beyond my control. I'm, I don't get there. So yeah, forces beyond my control. I didn't eat kosher. I didn't eat treif. So it's as if I did the deed. But if I just think about it, so just have intent, meaning I haven't done anything. I'm just thinking about doing stuff. So that's not considered. So where we have is seemingly quite consistent is thought matters if there's some level of activity or action that goes along with it. But thought in of itself is inconsequential. If there's no thought whatsoever, it's inconsequential. Now, this, this does happen in mitzvot as well. That if you just have thought with regards to mitzvot, it's also not sufficient. If you don't have thought, meaning as follows. What happens? The opposite extreme. What happens? So we have the case where I did the deed with intent to do an avera. So it's an avera. If I just thought about the avera, no. What happens if I just do... The mitzvah, but I don't think about the mitzvah. Is it a mitzvah? So, I'm, let's just say, I go down to the kotel. And there's some guy there with tefillin. And he says, ah, ah, you want to put on tefillin? I have no idea what he's talking about. And it looks like a great uh, photo opportunity. Went to Israel, went to the kotel, had these funny boxes put on. And this guy, I put my arm out, he puts it on. And I'm making sure my friends take pictures of me so I can post them. Did I fulfill the mitzvah of, shma, uh, of, of tefillin or not? So I'm not thinking about doing a mitzvah. There's no part of me at all. So this is what the Shulchan Aruch talks about with regards to the mitzvah of matzah and exists in all other areas of, of mitzvot as well. Achal matzah belo kavana. So a person ate matzah. It's leo pesach. And he eats matzah, but he has no intent to fulfill the mitzvah whatsoever. Meaning, what do you mean not intent? So it says, Kagon, shansua akum ulistim lechol. You've been forced by non So you're in jail. And you're starving. And it's, it's not, first not Pesach. And your jailers come and bring you your morsel of crackers for dinner. And that is all there is to eat. And it just so happens that those crackers have the halachic status of matzah. And you eat them. So it says, You fulfill the mitzvah. So you're not eating them because you want to eat them. You're eating because you, you've been forced to eat them. You fulfill the mitzvah. Can't you because he knows tonight's first not Pesach, and he knows he wants to eat, uh, and he has an obligation to eat pe- matzah on Pesach, so he fulfills a mitzvah. But if I think tonight's Wednesday night, so I'm in jail, they come and bring me matzah, I eat my matzah, thinking it's Wednesday night's dinner, or I just think they're crackers, I don't think they're matzah. I know it's tonight's Pesach, but this isn't, i got to eat it because you know, there's nothing else to eat. But uh, it's not my intent uh, to fill the mitzvah because I know that these are stump crackers. Lo yatsa. 
you don't fulfill the mitzvah. Meaning you need some level. To do the act of the mitzvah without intent is nothing. To do the act of the Avera without intent similarly is also not an Avera. You need some combination of intent with action to be considered. Okay. So that's, you know, for me, uh, uh, you go through those sort of verses and okay, that's very interesting, you know, so we know that intent, uh, intention in the eyes of Hashem only has value if there's something uh, real behind them, that you're doing a certain level of activity that's going along with the, 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 and same with regards to negative activity. If you do a negative act um, without intent, so there's no avera. If you do a negative act, if you do a negative deed with intent, then that's where the problem is. If you do an act that turns out to be positive, but your intent was to be negative, so that is, um, that is also an avera. And that is what our, our, our parsha talks about. So what's the, what do we take away from this? Intent within the world of, of, uh, of Judaism is, is not as simple as one might think. Because albeit that when I ask you, what are you doing? You can, you can give me your most superficial conscious um, motivations for doing the act that you're doing. You're eating this, this food because you're hungry. You're making kiddush because that's what you do on a Friday night. Or eating matzah or shaking lulav, whatever the case might be. You are doing all these things because that's what, you know, it's a simple intent. But if you recall what Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva cried. Now, Rabbi Akiva was not a crier. In fact, Throughout the Torah, we see Rabbi Kiva do a lot of things. 90% of the time we see him laughing. And occasionally he's laughing where everybody else is crying. But we never see Rabbi Akiva cry. It's, even when at the end of his life, when his um, flesh is literally being combed from his skin. So, yeah, from his, from his bones as, as, he, as he's martyred. He doesn't cry. He smiles and he says, you know, this is what I've lived for. I always said that you know, I would love Hashem with all my soul, even if he takes my soul. So we see time and time again, we see Rabbi Akiva to no end uh, laughing and seeing the positive things. But he gets to this particular verse and all of a sudden has this profound impact on him. He starts crying. So, so what is it that's, that's so powerful? So seemingly as follows. Is that there's intent that we are conscious of. But there's other intent that we're never conscious of. That as much as we'd like to think that all that matters is our superficial reasoning for why we do things, the reality is there's an underlying reason as well. There's a concept in Torah that says, you should, a person should always be mitzvah, that a person should always be involved in Torah and mitzvot, even if their motives are not completely pure. Because once you start doing motives, if you start doing mitzvot, even, without, even with impure motives, in time, you'll come to be, uh, those motives will come to become pure. But the problem is that, do we ever really know what our intent is? Um, a couple of weeks ago, we read uh, Pasha Korach, where we talk about the ideas of a machloket l'shem shemayim, people who fight, who have arguments for the sake of heaven. And what does it mean, the sake of heaven? So it seemingly means altruistic, that your motives are sincere and pure. The question is, who has sincere motives? What, when you do any particular act, what's your intent? What's your motives? So, I don't know, but one thing I've learned is that there's certain things in life that if you want to find the truth, you have to look towards the opposite, meaning as follows. Like, how do you define a humble person? Or how could you ever find a humble person? So if you go around to 100 people and you ask them, who here is humble? So, so who do you know for certain is not humble? So you know for certain the people that say, I'm a humble person, that they are not humble. 
that is almost like it's a catch twenty two. So so if if that's true, the opposite would be that. So how do you find someone who you know might be humble? You go look for the person who knows he's not humble. Okay, so it's a catch twenty two. So the person who says. I am so full of myself. I am so arrogant. I, I, I think the world revolves around me. Is a person that has enough insight to realize how biased they are in the world and how, sh- how, how they lack humility. And the lack of humility is something that means you might get close to becoming humble. Because humility is knowing exactly who you are and who you're not. The person who thinks they're humble is a person who has a very, very simplistic view of themselves because they think they know who they are when really they don't. They are so blind to their own arrogance that they think they're humble. So the same comes with regards to a person whose motives are sincere. So you have two people arguing and they say, I am arguing L'Shem Shemayim. I'm arguing altruistic. It's all about the principle. It's not about the ego. It's not about the money. It's all about the principle. So what's the chance of the person who is so convinced that their motives are sincere is a guarantee that the chances of their motives are insincere. The only way you're going to find someone whose motives are purely sincere is a person who's convinced that their motives are insincere. I'll say that again, just because it's like quite counterintuitive. Is that to find people whose motives are sincere, the first place we look for those who are convinced that they're not. So when it comes to our intent, Hashem ma- intent matters with Hashem. But when it says that intent matters, it's not the superficial intent of when I ask you why you do what you do, you answer. Like there's, there's a, a book written by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink. And um, in, in it, he, he, show, he cites a number of different studies about people who say one thing and believe something completely different. Now, not because they, they're lying. It's because they actually don't know what they believe. So if you ask people what they want, the, try, the reality is you should never, never believe them. So, for example, he did a study with, I think it was with jam, with wine, and with coffee. That you ask people, what kind of coffee do you like? And so people would say, I like a, I think he says, he's, I like a smooth, rich blend, was the consensus. But when people did blind taste tests, the reality is that most people liked weak, milky, sweet coffee. Because they, what they tell themselves they like isn't what they like. If you put a whole bunch of wines, this was the other study he did. He said you get like 10 wines and you just, you, you bottle them all the same. And you ask people, what are the wines that you like? And you do it as a blind taste test. The, the most expensive wine is seldom the winner. But when you start putting prices on them, and you say this is a very expensive wine, then all of a sudden people start shifting. Meaning what people think they want and what they actually want is not exactly the truth. I remember when I, when I first arrived at the shul, there had been a survey done in the community about um, where the community is at and where it wants to go. And one of the survey questions that was done was a very lengthy survey. And one of the early questions was, would you like to see more uh, shurim or programs in the shul? And uh, the vast majority of the community answered, yes, we would. And then later, there's a question, if the shul were to offer more shurim and, and services and, 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 and programs, would you attend them? So the answer was no. So you, you just see, hold on a second. So who's going to run all these programs and no one's going to attend them? But it's not the fact that the people were, were duplicitous in the answering, is that they were answering from different parts of their brain. And they're asking from the intellect, I would, I would like to be a person who goes to shurim. I'd like to be a person who attends shur. I'd like to be, that's the kind of person I want to be. 
But when it comes to practicals, it's not the person who I am. And so where our intent is and where we actually are, are not always aligned. And that's why Rabbi Akiva cried, is because the depths, when Hashem, you know, if a person intends one thing and something else happens, imagine all the depth of the intent, all the levels of, of unconscious biases and unconscious intentions for why we do mitzvahs. When people come to me and say, why are you doing that mitzvah? So, oh, I'm doing it because I, I, um, I want to come close to Hashem. I want to make Kiddush and recognize Hashem as creator of the world. And when you dig down beneath what Hashem says, that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because you, you want to, uh, everyone to think you're the rabbi and you, you know how you're doing things and you, you can show up. That's why you're really doing it. And, um, and, it's, and, and it's hard. I, I, I'll end with a story which is, uh, just raise it. It was a story in a particular yeshiva where the, um, the, the young student said, um, he went up to the Rosh Yeshiva and said, Rabbi, I want to, um, I was hoping that we could learn for half an hour every week because I feel that there's certain elements of my personal development that need work. And I'd like, I'm hoping that you'd be able to, um, to just share with me your thoughts on how I can grow and how I can develop. And like, the rabbi says, that's not, that's not what you want. He says, you want to come sit here for half an hour so you can go with all your friends and you can tell them that I learn once a week with the Rosh Yeshiva. That's what you want to do. You don't want to learn. You just want to have one up on your chevra. So the guy felt terribly humiliated. Walked away with his tail between his legs. And uh, never came back. So a week or two goes past and the Rosh Yeshiva goes up to him. Said, uh, weren't, weren't we going to learn once a week? Like, what happened to you? So he said, well, Rosh Yeshiva, you know, when I said I want to learn with you, you just started blasting me and telling me that it's not really what I wanted, that all I wanted was to think I'm bigger than all my, all my, tell me de, all my, other, my students and that, that I didn't really want to learn with you. So Rosh Yeshiva said, isn't that what you asked me to do? And, and that's one of the, the keys, is that um, the things that we say we want are not necessarily the things we want. And so our intention and our kavana is something that is far deeper than we often uh, think. And something that ultimately Hashem sees into the, into our hearts of what our real intentions are. So until we understand what our intentions are, um, we sort of walking in the dark. All right, everybody, thank you very much. I'm allowed to unmute if there are any questions. Just so happens that uh, I have to. We, I initially thought that this was going to be a, a two-week course, but now. Uh, Premier Berejiklian has decided that it might be a little bit of a longer course. So we'll see. Maybe we'll go into the next week. So any questions before we end?